I'm Alex Rybczynski. I'm Angie Czech. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. It's a great pleasure for me to bring my friend Lynn Shelty onto the podcast today. This is episode 47 of the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. I'm Nathan Riley, MD, the Holistic OBGYN, and your host of the show. As always, Lynn interviewed me for something called the Healing Birth Summit, which is going to be broadcast in April. We'll put all the details for you to sign up if you're a birth worker or in the maternity care space, or if you're just interested. You may be a dude that's just interested in what is going on in maternity care, because it is changing rapidly, and if you're not staying up to date, you're going to miss out. And Lynn is definitely a part of the, the, the fringe of people pushing the needle forward in the direction that I like to, to see it. In our episode today, we talk about how birth trauma impacts the body. How does the body store trauma? How does the body release trauma? And if some trauma is, is not released, how does it impact the physiology of childbirth and how our bodies should optimally function? So this is a really, really special, very important episode. I'll put all the information about Lynn and everything else in the show notes afterwards. I'm not going to dilly-daddy dabble-frabble any longer. Please enjoy my conversation with Lynn Schulte. Welcome, Lynn Schulte, physical therapist. Welcome to my show. How are you today? Uh, thank you, Nathan. I'm fabulous. I'm so grateful to you for doing this. I absolutely love any opportunity I get to share this information that I know. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, well, right on. I, I think the audience is going to love this one that, you know, about how birth trauma um, and other traumas impact the body. I think that this is a really important topic that seems a little metaphysical for some because it's not like you have a some sort of blood test that determines how much trauma you had. You know, you have to kind of take a person's word for it and their experience in birth um, or their experience even as a child and how that impacts the physiology of their labor in their current pregnancy. It's all about perception, Nathan. Yeah. It, it, and it's the perception of the person experiencing it. Like, right. So everybody in the room can think that was the most beautiful birth in the world. But if that the, the person giving birth, ha- you know, got triggered in yeah. any way, it's a trauma response to them in their yeah. body. Yeah. And I mean, based on what we know about the conventional model of maternity care in the States, which you and I are both at the forefront of trying to change in rising up and uplifting shared decision-making through the midwifery care model, this is this is very apropos. As women go into the hospital, there's this assumed consent or implied consent, I've heard it called, whereby people do things to you and say things to you without ever giving you full counseling as to the risks and benefits. And that in and of itself is traumatizing. You never go to the car mechanic and they're like, you know what? I just replaced your car, your, your brakes. Here's the bill. Like, yeah, that, that right. would be like what, what are you talking about? You replaced my brakes, you know? And I hate to compare to a car, but people understand that's so simple, but we don't see that in the same, through the same lens in birth. Yeah. And there's so much, you know, there's so much focus on just getting the baby out at all costs, right? right? right like that right. we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this in name of safety. Yeah. Of baby. <laughs> yeah. And that's coercion through and through. I mean, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I like to kind of, you know, I, I wish there was a different word than trauma mm. to, to really categorize it because I, I look at it like there's small T trauma and then there's capital T trauma. And, you know, I've, I've just been surprised over the years working with moms that come to me and, you know, when I do my interview with them, they're like, oh, no, my, my birth was great. It was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. amnesia does tend to, you know, time afterwards sure. does tend to Oxytocin is a powerful chemical from the brain, too. <laughs> yes. But then once they lay on my table and I start feeling into the tissue and, and to me, I can feel like this this holding of its breath, like the, mm. the tissues there, there's a, a pulsation of energy, a flow of energy that actually happens through our bodies. And when there's been a trauma response, it's almost like the body's holding its breath. Yeah. And yeah. Especially in the pelvic area of the body. To me, I can just feel like there's supposed to be a flow happening through that. Right. And when there's been a trauma response, it's like the pelvis has gone. <gasps> mm. 
and it's just not breathing anymore. And then as I, as I help them tune into that, they go, Oh yeah, I remember this happens. Yeah. yeah. Or I remember my practitioner said this yeah, or, you know, yeah, yeah. the key is, is that the body remembers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of great books out there. The body keeps the score. It didn't start with you. I mean, Mark, Mark Willin's work. I mean, there's a lot of really, really great I don't know. I, I, I want to call them medical scientists, but they're almost like social philosophers who are starting to think about like, what are the ills of society and how could this possibly have started at the time of birth? Which is why my whole vision is if we could reimagine birth altogether, place it in a place where people feel safe, heard, witnessed, then it doesn't matter what you recommend as an intervention in order to quote, keep mom and baby safety. You've you've provided them with the space to exercise their autonomy. And that in and of itself, I think, is healing for our society where we're basically asking nowadays for permission to do just about anything. I mean, I know it's worse in other countries, but the U.S. and Canada and this whole thing that's been happening these past couple of years makes people, it's traumatizing to be told you have to do something. Right. You know, it's not yeah. a matter of making you vaccine hesitant or vac- excited about vaccines. It's if you're not feeling... Uh, seen as a human being that has the autonomy to make decisions for themselves, especially in birth, which is so sacred and so, gosh, it can be so scary and rapturous at the same time. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think we are doing a lot of a, a lot of harm there. Absolutely. I wanted to. Uh, we're going to be talking about the the healing summit that you're organizing, which uh, is mm-hmm. April fourth to the fourteenth, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. So when this episode comes out, we'll have a couple of weeks for people to, to go and snatch up tickets. I hope that we can get a lot of people there because uh, it's a lot of people like you who are talking about these topics. So we'll talk a little bit more about that after. I also wanted to share a very, share a very short story that is in line with what you were saying. My wife and I had our, our first baby in the hospital. Our second was at home, as you know. And uh-huh. in the hospital, my wife, it wasn't about the staff and everything because they knew me. They stayed out of the way because they knew exactly how I practiced. So they were like, he's probably going to want us to, you know to be uh, hands off here. And, and they were very respectful. It was a beautiful birth over here in uh, Louisville at Norton uh, Women's and Children's. Dr. Nett was our doctor in case she's listening. Hi, Dr. Nett. You're amazing. <laughs> but, you know, we, she had an unmedicated birth. She was nine centimeters when we transferred to the hospital. Everything was just fine. She did get stuck with an IV and she had said very clearly, I don't want IV fluids, but they were like, but you still have to have the hep lock. And so that was the first thing that happened. But everything else, there was not that much that anybody would see as problematic. But then if you ask my wife afterwards, she was unmedicated, no stitches, blah, blah, blah. The baby was perfect. If you ask my wife afterwards, I was like, man, that was such a great birth. You had the perfect birth, blah, blah, blah. I made that mistake myself. She said, well, actually, like, I'm excited to do it again because I feel like I got to the edge and I held back and there was some fear building up, like some past something was boiling up at this very pivotal moment in her life. So the second go, we had a two-hour labor and everything. It was like the healing, full-circle healing experience that she had. So so to, to pay a little homage to what you're describing, even the most natural, unmedicated, perfect, objectively perfect birth still carries some trauma because it is a, a big, important event. So... Anyways, now that I've <laughs> now that I've rambled on, uh, let's talk a little bit about the about the anatomy. You're a physical therapist. Let's talk about what do you see in a woman's body happen as a result of trauma. So, what we need to understand is the mechanics of the pelvis and what the pelvis needs to do in order to allow the baby to pass through it. So, there are certain motions that the pelvis does that allows the baby to come into the pelvis. So our sit bones actually come together slightly and the the iliac crest, so the top of our hip bones, they actually widen. The sacrum starts to tuck under. So tailbone comes more closer to your pubic bone. And this all creates an uh, increased inlet of the pelvis. Now there's studies, there's, they've done MRI studies of the pelvis that show, yes, there is a widening of the inlet and they looked at the mid pelvis. So around the ischial tuberosity or uh, ischial spines there, um, they, that show changes, right? Right. But what the studies never looked at is what happens to the outlet, the pelvic outlet after birth. Ah, And Uh. so what, what needs to happen for the baby to come on out is that, so once the baby gets to zero station, which is at the level of the ischial spines, 
Then the pelvis needs to go into its opposite directions where the tailbone then comes backwards, goes away from the pubic bone and the sit bones, those bones we sit on, they display out to the side Mm -hmm. and that increases the pelvic outlet. Now, depending on the position a person is in when the baby came out will determine the factors of stress on those bones. Mm. So let's say someone's laying in side lying as they're, they're on their left side and the baby comes on out because the left side is anchored from the pressure on the bed, the right side has to open up more. So that right ischium is going to be called more splayed out. That's why I like to call them. They're splayed apart. Mm. And so then I always ask my mamas when they come in, I'm like, what position were you in when the baby came out? Because biomechanically, I'm thinking about what factors, what forces are being put on these pelvic bones. Because the biggest thing that I find in my mamas is that their pelvis is stuck in what I'm coining an open birthing pattern. So their pelvic bones, their ischiums are still splayed apart. Their sacrum is backwards. And I've also found that the sacrum actually shifts over towards the right-hand side. So instead of the sacrum being nice and midline, I find that it actually is tilted more Uh, to the right. uh, Okay. uh, And so that jams up this right sacroiliac joint. And what I find postpartum when I go to put my hand underneath their sacrum is that that sacrum is off to the side. Hmm. And when I mobilize the sacrum in that sacroiliac joint, there's decreased mobility in there. (laughs) And it's a little bit higher on that side. So I've learned these techniques that I've taught myself to, to help bring that sacrum back into place. And then once we get the sacrum midline again, then we really focus in on bringing those sit bones back to the midline. Hmm. And there's some things like if we have a really big baby in there coming through, there's sometimes where the pelvis can be like pushed out to the side bilaterally. So both ischiums and the the PSISs are those little bumps in the back of your your low back, right where you usually see dimples on some. Those are called PSISs. And sometimes those PSISs are wider than when before the baby passed through. And when I find PSISs wider and ischiums wider, then I know the whole pelvis has just done this. Wow. And, and, and this is this open birthing pattern is just so much more unstable for the body. Hmm. And once a baby passes through there, there's no sense of normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Your body doesn't remember the bones don't remember what it was like before that baby came through. So moms go about their, their lives taking care of this baby now And they don't understand why they have back pain or pelvic pain or why their pelvic floor muscles are so on stretch. They're so they they, they actually feel weak because they can't function very well because they're on stretch. Yeah. Those pelvic floor muscles attach to those bones. And if the bones are wider then those pelvic floor muscles are on stretch. And so really helping those bones come back together really helps everything work and function much better. So a couple of things came to mind. The first is that when you watch a woman birth unmedicated and she's not restrained by the uncomfortable hospital bed, she's maybe in a tub or something like that, and she's full Mm -hmm. freedom of movement, oftentimes they get on all fours and they move their knees together, which totally explains that, why the... by opening up the pelvic outlet. And for those of you who don't understand what we're talking about, the pelvis is not just one ring. There's an inlet, in which case the lateral uh, parameters or the linea uh, terminalis the sacral promontory and the uh, the pubic symphysis. Then you move into the mid pelvis where those lateral confines are the ischial spines. And then we're moving to the outlet. And that's where you're talking about at that expulsive mm-hmm. stage and uh, part of the second stage when the baby's being uh, ejected from the, from the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the vagina, that's where we're going to find the most potential damage. Also, when we pull the knees way back to the shoulder and force yeah. the, 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 the outlet to, to sort of collapse on itself. Is that, am I, am I getting that right? Absolutely. And that's, I love why you're mentioning about the knees together and, and what, what I 
try to tell my moms to focus on is really its internal rotation of the femurs, of your legs, of your thighs. So knees together, feet apart actually widens those ischial mm. tuberosities apart. So you get a little millimeter or centimeter more of, of room in there for mm. baby to come on out. And the, the thing is, is, you know, if, if women who end up having epidurals and are in bed and they're on their backs and we are holding their legs up, a lot of times we're holding their knees apart and their feet together, which is closing that pelvic outlet. <laughs> and so when, when if, if people are in that lithotomy position on their backs, knees supported, we need to help bring the knees together and the feet apart, which will help give a little bit more room there. Yeah, yeah. So feet apart, knees together. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, when a, when a baby is uh, coming out breech, this is somewhat somewhat off topic, but definitely related because when the baby's head gets stuck, it's a rare thing for anybody out there who's having a breech birth. It's a rare thing. But when it happens, there's very little that we can do because you don't have, it's not a soft tissue issue. It's not like an episiotomy is going to fix any everything. Not that it ever really fixes anything, but uh, I digress. When the baby's head is stuck bone on bone, we do the extreme lithotomy and we do all this other stuff. Whereas, uh, anime, anime Gaskin actually had described what she learned from granny midwives, I'm sure, and, and sort of passed down through the lineages, but, uh, to get on all fours, chest down, butt up, knees together. And then the baby oftentimes will be resolved just by doing that without doing any of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, she originally, I think described that as a means of resolving a shoulder dystocia, which again is bone on bone, pubic symphysis in that case, or it could be the sacral promontory, but unusual. And so, but that maneuver is considered a midwifery practice as opposed to what the ABOG, you know, our, our board of OBGYNs would describe as, as like standard of care. But anatomically, when you understand the actual stages of labor in the, the sort of anatomical differences in these different positions, it makes perfect sense the way you're describing it. Well, and, you know, a lot of times in birth, I, I hear doulas, I hear people talking about squeezing the hips together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just offering that, that central kind of compression. But what I'm seeing happen is they're doing it more from like hip to hip and I'm, I'm saying I'm teaching midwives or doulas and, and partners, like press on those iliac crests, yeah. depending on where the baby is. Like early on in labor, if we're trying to get baby in, then we should be compressing those sit bones together to open up the inlet. Yeah. Later on, if, you know, like you said, that, that baby's stuck head, head to, to pelvic bone, we're trying to get that baby out. We want to compress those iliac crests together because that will open up the, the ischiums more. Yeah. So more focalized pressure can help alter the, the diameter of the, the pelvis. So in those early stages of labor, some of the techniques that you, you know, that we as partners are taught is, you know, compressing the ischial spines, for example, but that would close off the inlet. So why is that helpful? Absolutely. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not crazy. <laughs> but why, you know, so to me, if we did that and go, oh, that feels good. But if we came down onto the ischiums and we did that, would that feel better? Hmm. You know, I, I would, I would love to, you know, I, I haven't had the pleasure of working with a woman in labor. I, I, I used to work next to a birth center. So they would call me in if, if, you know, there, uh, if a labor was stalling, if I could, and I would go in and I would do what I can. And they said it always helped. And so I'm just looking at biomechanically with the pelvis and, and where's the baby at and, and what can we do to help open yeah. the, the different areas? Is, is it inlet or outlet that we need yeah. to try to adjust? Waveblock.com is doing something different. They realize, like many people realize, and maybe if you aren't, privy to this, you should also realize that as we are swimming in a field of EMF at all times, right? Like turn on your phone right now, check out how many Wi-Fi signals are in the in the area. You'll probably pick up like 15. Let me see how many I got. I've got 11 Wi-Fi signals and we live in a, you know, a suburban community, but gosh, 11 signals. I'm picking up 11 signals. I'm being bathed in EMF at all times. So we turn off our router at night. 
We try to minimize how close we have the phone to the baby's head and whatnot, but like life is life, and we're always listening on our earbuds and our phones. And those phones and earbuds have powerful modems that are putting out EMF at all times and showering us and our babies with radiation. It's low dose radiation that if you're being exposed to it all damn day long, you have to consider what is the downstream consequences. So, WaveBlock has stickers that go on your earbuds and on your phones. Which block more EMF than any other products on the market without compromising signal. And you can be the proud owner of a pair of these stickers if you go to waveblock.com. And as a listener of the Holistic Obi Duane podcast, there's a sweet deal for you. Beloved25 is a code you can enter at checkout and you'll save 25% on any of their products. I can't recommend them enough. I've got it. I'm looking at it right now here. My wife wears them on her earbuds. I don't have my earbuds anymore. I don't know where they went, but I'd have them on there as well. I uh, will have to get new stickers when I get a new pair. This is something we should all be very, very thoughtful about. So go to waveblock.com, enter code BELOVED25, you'll save 25% off your purchase. No deal like that out there. I hope you support them and I hope you enjoy them. Let's get back to my conversation now with Lynn Shelton. Yeah, a woman that I mentioned uh, uh, before we started recording, her name is Nicole Morales. She's a CPM down in San Diego County. She's a really talented midwife, attends breaches. She really is thoughtful about the anatomy and physiology of natural birth. And when you understand the normal movements and the the changes in the pelvis and the position of the baby relative to these inlet, uh, uh, mid-pelvis and outlet, that the interventions are a little bit different. So when everybody, when anybody gives like a... um, you know, this, this sort of blanket statement that this thing is good, it, it really depends on the context, right? It, it depends on the, the part of labor that we're right, at. Right, right, right. Everybody talks about cervical dilation, but something Nicole always impresses upon me is forget about the dilation. It's where is the baby relative to that passage through the pelvis? And if the baby's getting stuck way up higher in the mid pelvis, perhaps we have a, an abnormally shaped pelvis or whatever else, which is going to require further accommodation from all that connective tissue. Right. One thing that just came to mind, Lynn, that I, I, I don't want to derail your thought process, but I, you know, I had a super, uh, an infraspinatus injury you know, way back in the mm-hmm. day, and it was, a, it was a tendonitis of one of the rotator cuff muscles. And it took about six months for that to get fully better. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's probably due to the poor vascular, the poor uh, blood flow to connective tissue. If, 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 am, I, am I mistaken there? No, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, and the fact that it, it, we're always using it, yeah, you know, yeah. so it could be irritating it or, you know, so it, healing processes take different lengths depending on the area of the body. And if we can really allow rest to happen or if we're having to keep continually use it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I was sort of thinking along that, that train of thought was when they go to see you, you know, we demand that women are not just resting and digesting after this incredibly challenging experience, yeah. especially for their pelvis, but physiologically all over the body. So as we consider the in- inflammatory process in the pelvis, which is a, he- a part of the healing process, we expect women to be back on their feet, moving around, exercising, lifting weights at 12 weeks. They're back at work. They're riding the train. They're doing whatever. Really, I mean, it sounds like we need to be pushing for like three to six months of of postpartum rest and slowly getting back into that activity. And otherwise, they end up on your on your table, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do here?" <laughs> I I really say I think six months might be dragging it out a little bit long, but there to me, there's something magical around that three month mark. That, that the pelvis really does kind of solidify. That was my own personal experience having my first babe. I tried, you know, I got that six week clear from the doctor and I went out to try to go jog and my pelvis just felt like mush, mm. you know, and, and I knew better. I knew enough to go, that's not right. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. I just walked, right? Like that jarring impact. That's So that's my instruction to my moms is I, I want you to keep working on your core strengthening because we can do that still being horizontal, we yeah. can work on activation of, of especially transverse abdominus muscle and pelvic floor muscles and, and get those working well. But as far as jarring activity, I really encourage my moms to wait till that three month mark Yeah, when yeah. things feel yeah. more solid. So like jumping, running, exactly. heavy lifting. Okay. 
Yeah. And, and so, you know, Nathan, the, the key piece here though, and, and the thing that I really truly wish every single person who's had a baby would be able to be seen by one of my trained birth healing pr- practitioners. Mm. So I have a certification process where people take my courses and they can become certified birth healing practitioners. And they know the patterns to look for in the body. They know how to get the bones back into place. They know the organs and, and, and how to get the organs back into place. Because one of the big things that happens is that baby comes through that pelvis is it pushes the bladder off to one side. You can, you can find the cervix anywhere after birth in there. So, uh, you know, I, um, one of my clients told me, uh, she's like, yeah, I told my friends, it's like, you get in there and you rearrange the furniture in there. And I just laughed because I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, it's after that baby comes through, it pushes the bladder. Usually the pattern I find the most is to the left. The cervix can be anywhere in there and just helping to get that bladder back into a better position and making sure that that cervix has good 360 degree mobility in there. That alone instantaneously changes the quality and strength of your pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so it is like, that's what I I've learned. I assess the muscles right at the beginning of my session and there's, you know, like ugh, maybe 25% contraction ability of the, of the fibers. And I go in and I do a protocol that I teach in my courses of getting the bladder back into place, checking the cervix and then releasing the muscles along with closing up those bones and getting the bones back into their original position. Mm then the muscles can fire automatically and work and moms don't have to like struggle to make it happen because yeah. it, it should be that on off right away. You know, right, like right. you shouldn't have to like think about it in effort to get your pelvic floor muscles to fire and scar tissue tearing episiotomies, those things, scar tissue inhibits the mobility of those muscles to happen and then again, if, if we're talking about trauma, that trauma response, you can just feel it in the tissues. It's like they're holding their breath. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes depending on the level of that trauma, sometimes the body doesn't realize that the birth is over. <laughs> yeah. That the baby is actually out. Yeah. Yeah. Because it any point, you know, I, I tell my moms any point during that birth process, if you get to that where like, oh, don't make me do this. Stop. I don't want to do this. That's a trauma response yeah. in the body. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let, let's let's get let's get into that part of this, because we are sounding a little metaphysical here when we talk about trauma. You know, we let, let's let, but let's let me also go back one second for anybody who out there who doesn't understand some of the anatomy here. Uh, I'm going to give you a second, this is the, the, the second little lesson. Ligaments connect bone to bone. Tendons connect muscle to bone. And when you're describing these bones separating as a result of high levels of progesterone, relaxin, etc., it's accommodating this baby coming through. And then it's expected to go back into position. What you're describing is that it doesn't go quite back into position. And as a result, the pelvic floor, which is a hammock of muscle that supports your internal organs in the pelvis from falling out, those muscles have to overcompensate to try to bring the bones as close as possible together. And that overcompensation of muscular, the spastic muscular activity can lead to pain with intercourse. It can lead to incontinence, uh, either mm-hmm. urinary or, or, or fecal. And of course, you have this bony misconfiguration that is also perhaps causing pain, including perhaps even neuro- neuropathic pain, sciatic pain. Um, it's all right there. I mean, this is a giant bundle of activity. So what you do is you help to use some biofeedback, I'm guessing, and we'll talk a little bit about what your actual practice is, to, yeah. to, to soften some muscles to stretch other muscles in order to get that back at midline. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yes. And there's a couple of things that I want to please do. You're the expert in your, your, your concepts there, because um, yet my practice is just helping to bring the bones back into their place, which then in in help get the fascia and the tissues back into their happy place. It's, it's helping to get rid of stiffness. So, Mm. so, 
pelvic floor muscles need to be like a trampoline. They need to have give and lengthening and contraction. They need to be able to go mm-hmm. up and down easily. And with birth and with bones out of place, you, you get tension, you get stiffness mm-hmm. in that tissue and stiff tissue can't function well. Yeah. And yeah. one of the big misconceptions that you actually mentioned there, Nathan, and this is newer information, is that organs actually don't fall out of our pelvis. Yeah. They get pulled. Oh, that's okay. that's an interesting distinction. Yeah, I, of course, I was embellishing. Like, you're not yeah, going to have yeah. stuff fall out, but I I totally under, and understand and appreciate that distinction. Go on. Right, because well, but the majority of people are being told if you have prolapse, oh, your organs are falling down, mm. right? And then in and it's because of muscular weakness, mm. and that is not what we are finding in the clinic. Mm. And, and um, I just got done doing an interview with the gal who's written an article about the biotensegrity um, model and how things are, our organs are actually supported by this pull and, and push of our body and how our body is supported. And what we're finding postpartum is that a majority of prolapse where the organs do come out of place, right? They're not in their original place um, is because of tension. It's they're getting pulled Pulled down down out of place, usually from scar tissue, from tearing or from other biomechanical forces being put on those organs. And and that's what's causing them to be out of place. Mm. So when you release the, the tension the, the pulling, then the organs pop right back into place. And what her Anna Kral is the PT and she's in the UK and she's written two research articles on this. What she's finding and what I find in my practice is that when you release that pull, the organs go right back into place and then we don't have the symptoms of prolapse anymore. So here's the here's a scenario. A woman has had three babies. She's 48. She's approaching that menopausal period. She's got a tiny little bit of atrophy in the vulva and the vagina around the urethra. It's not extreme. It's not like a 65 year old, but you know she's starting to experience some some of the the sort of typical experiences. Let's say not normal, but common um, of a woman who's had a couple babies vaginally. She's got a I don't know. I always forget the pop Q system, but she's got like a grade two or grade yeah. three cystocele yeah. an anterior prolapse. What does mm-hmm. the, pra- what does your practice actually look like in helping that resolve? Yeah. So when I'm, when I'm working with prolapse, there's three main issues that we need to address. One is the, one is posture. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so the organs, we need to understand the way that we hold our pelvis um, if you are in a proper alignment, the the pubic bone acts as a shelf of support mm. to the bladder and the uterus. But so many women who are dealing with prolapses tend to have a posture where they're tucking their butt under. Mm. Their tailbone is tucked between their legs. So their pelvis is rotated backwards. And so then in that alignment, that pubic bone becomes a slide mm. of support. Mm. Okay. And, and that tucked under posture is very much the end of pregnancy. Think about people who are pregnant and they just let that belly guide them. They let the belly lead the way, which means their hips are in front of their heels. Their pelvis is tucked under. It's more of a, there's less support on those pelvic organs in that posture versus when you bring your hips back over your heels and you let your tailbone drift backwards, like you have a tail that you want to wag like a dog. Mm. Okay. When we have that tailbone lifted backwards, that pubic bone is in a position where it can be a shelf of support to the bladder and the, the uterus. I'm imagining okay. how how we we all try to stand when we're, when we're at the beach and we want to have tight abs and we tuck our tail and we're actually not doing not doing a great thing for our uh, our pelvic no, support. Hmm. Not at all. And so the, and think about our sitting too. Yeah. If, if you're sitting listening to this this podcast or this interview, are you on your tailbone? 
the majority of time when we slouch, we tuck our tailbone under and all that pressure is going towards on that tailbone, pushing it forward. Wow, you're and, right. then, and then we're slouching down. We're putting all that pressure into our pelvis. That's putting more pressure on the pelvic organs. So that's so posture is number one. And then pressure management is number two. How are you activating your core? A lot of times with people with prolapse, they are activating their core, increasing pressures down. Mm. That's also why people tend to leak urine when they laugh, cough, sneeze. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are using more, they tend to be more oblique dominant. So using the side muscles more versus the transverse muscle. And that's a whole nother interview we could get into. Oh, yeah. it's the, it's the way that they're activating their core is increases in pressures down. So we need to then learn how to repressurize in a way that takes that pressure away from the organs. And then the third thing that we need to look at is the pull on the organs. So that is, I do a lot of intravaginal work to make sure that there's no stiffness and no, no scar tissue that is actually pulling the organs out of place. Mm. And, and a lot of people are envisioning the prolapse just being more of a downward descent, but we're finding that there's more lateral shifting of those organs that is causing it. And sometimes a little bit of both lateral and down. And so a lot of the, the release work that I do is helping to lift and encourage those organs wow. back up onto the shelf, release that pull downward and give them more space so the organ can come back onto the shelf of the organ. And so I do a lot of my assessment. Um, I assess in supine, laying down on your back, but I also, whenever I'm dealing with prolapse, I assess in standing. Mm. We have to take a look at what's happening when gravity is in the picture. And if your practitioner is not assessing you in standing, they do not have a complete picture of what's really going on. And the other key component that I I assess, I I added this to my practice was I have my clients blow up a balloon. Hmm. Because that's the only way that I find that people can really pressurize their system enough for me to really assess to see what's going on with those organs. Let me let me ask you real quickly about the breathing because uh, a good a good friend of mine, Julie Weeb, she's a uh-huh. physiotherapist. Do you know her? Yes, I do. Love yeah, her work. All of her work is really about the piston breathing. And for yeah. for those of you out there, you know, women, and and by the way, I'll mention that women who are doing Pilates and bar and all that hardcore core work. They always have a protracted labor. I never have met one who just a baby just pops out, you know, and part of that I think is because they consider, so the piston breathing concept is, uh, I'm going to butcher this because Julie's going to be slapping me around digitally, but imagine you've got a closed container, a piston in your car. You've got, you can build up pressure inside of that cylinder. And if you consider your abdomen as a cylinder, the diaphragm uh, contracts and, and bows downward, you have increased pressure in there. You're also trying to maintain your flat six pack abs because that's what we value in society. And your spine is certainly not going anywhere. So you've, 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 you've closed the container. Where is that pressure going to go downward and out through the pelvic floor, further straining all that musculature. So I'm so glad that you guys know each other because, uh, yeah. That's a key thing. Like we're teaching women to just hold their breath during everything to yeah. have flat stomachs, but it's, it's redirecting the forces otherwise. Absolutely. And so one of the big things that we have to help our, our, our clients who are dealing with prolapse is they've got to relax their belly. Yeah. We've got, yeah. We got to give those organs space, you know, to, to, to be somewhere and constant, you know, the constant belly sucker inners and chronic butt tuckers who clench their butts. Those are two problematic issues yeah. for prolapse. Yeah. So we got to, you know, I have to say dealing with um, prolapse is not my favorite thing to work on in the clinic because it takes so much of change of habit to, to be effective in, you know, like I can help someone get their pelvic floor muscle stronger and I can help them get, you know, a better activation of their core, But as far as integrating it in, I say, when you're dealing with prolapse, everything that you do, you're either supporting your pelvic organs or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got to figure out when are you putting those pressures down and you've got to change it. Yeah. 
Right. And, in, right. and until you become aware of it, you can't change it. Right. And right. so unless someone's really motivated, unless someone's really bodily aware, their chances of, of, of shifting a prolapse is, is diminished. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to become aware and you have to make change. And, you know, so many people are saying, oh, it was the birth that caused my prolapse. Well, I can almost guarantee that it's the postures and habits that you brought to your pregnancy and brought to your delivery that contributed to Mm -hmm. your experiencing a prolapse after birth. Very likely is it very, very, uh, what's very likely is it just the birth? Yeah. To try to distill your entire practice down into a, an hour-long interview is going to be impossible. So I hope that we're going to talk about the the summit because I think that we're going to get a lot more of this type of information. Absolutely. I want to know, Lynn, uh, let's talk a little bit about the metaphysics of of how trauma plays out. And I want to share a tiny little story from a friend who is, she's a perinatal mental health specialist, told me about a woman who came to her and was just determined to to, like she had felt so traumatized by the birth because she had a C-section and she was like upset with the baby. Like, why didn't the baby want to come out through the pelvis? And she had a, went into a deep meditative state. I think she probably was using some plant medicines and experienced, uh, I, I may have told you this conversation before, but she met with her baby inside the uterus yes. and looked down and there was all this like scar tissue and cobwebs. And it was just an, a space in which the baby just was like, I don't want to go through there. Yeah. And so this woman sort of through some regression therapy or whatever also started having to get back in touch with some trauma, sexual abuse that happened to her when she was younger. So the body remembers these things. It stores these things. And we don't need to necessarily know why because people like you and I, when we're paying attention, we realize like, whoa, this stuff plays out in powerful ways, um, not yes. just anatomically and physiologically, something energetic is happening. So can you riff on that a little bit? Tell me tell me a little bit about your perspective. Yeah, I have so many stories. I'm trying to figure out which which one would be the best <laughs> one to share because yes, I mean, we so I always say that birth the the or the the ease of the birth yeah is dependent on what a person is carrying in their body to that labor. Mm. And, and, and on all levels there, Nathan, not mm. just, you know, physically, like uh, from a, a physical standpoint, I want to know, were they an ice skater, horseback rider, snowboarder, any major falls on their pelvis, tailbone, you know, that kind of stuff, because that could change the the mechanics of those bones opening up. Yeah. But yep. then I also want to know on a, on a psychological level or emotional level, you know, was there any, any sort of abuse in their world because whether it is, you know, a sexual, emotional, verbal abuse, there is, there tends to be a, a tightening of the pelvic floor muscles, a, um, a contraction, a holding in that area. And that's going to inhibit mm-hmm. the, you know, the baby's passage, right? And, and then we also need to look at limiting beliefs, like what are their beliefs around birth? And that's why unless a person really does a lot of clearing and work on themselves prior to the birth, any of those aspects can impact the birth. So, so we need to, to, to really look at, you know, like when um, uh, Penny Simpkins has done some beautiful work on when survivors give birth, right. And sexual abuse survivors, uh, you know, that's all wonderful. And that we need to understand that our pelvic floor muscles, that area of our body is related to our sense of safety and security in the world. And if someone is not feeling safe and secure, that's the first place that tightens up. Hmm. And, and so think about that and how it impacts that birth process if, if someone, you know, if they're feeling fine and then all of a sudden someone walks into the room and they don't feel safe, Boom. Right. Right. That alone can stop the birth process. Yeah. There's, there's lots of stories within the mammalian world of, you know, like the, the classic story is the, you know, the, the lion is the lioness is out in the, on the Savannah. She's, she's pregnant, she's in labor, but then there's like this sound rustling over there and labor just stops on a dime so she can flee and maybe run at full speed to escape some predator. 
in order to give birth in a place that feels safe. Why would it be any different for us? We are still mammals with a more complicated brain, but we still have that mammalian brain in there or the reptilian brain in there that tells us, hey, you got to go. And right. if, don't make a, if a person doesn't feel safe, whether it's from past trauma or something that's actively traumatizing them in a hospital setting or otherwise, um, there's some important implications there. Absolutely. So, you know, that's why I think birth is, there's so many different levels and layers to it that you can do all the preparation work. You could do all the work on yourself that you, you can yeah. prior yeah. to birth. And I, I truly encourage that. Um and yet something can still come up. And, you know, I've seen it in, um, you know, like things that happen in people's past, it, it shows up on my table and I find tight tension muscles in the pelvic floor muscles. I say the pelvic floor muscles are like sponges. They, they just sponge and hold all of our emotional trauma, um, you know, any physical trauma, all of it gets stored in there. And so when I do intravaginal work, I just use a glove finger. There's no speculums or anything. I'm just touching into those tissues. And I've learned to be able to sense what's really being held in those tissues. Mm. And so I can, you know, feel right away. And, and it's so interesting because if you just help someone tune in, like, can you feel the difference on, from this side to this side? Can you feel that tension? And they do. And then it's like, so what comes up for you as you just tune into this area? And I, and I had to tell you post-birth, Nathan, the biggest thing that I find in those muscles is stuck emotion. Yeah. And it, whether it's fear of baby, fear of mom's help, like, you know, it's really, it's fear of their life. Mm. It's showing up in there because if, or fear of the baby and, and what ends up for me, what I notice in trauma, I feel like I'm going all over the place, but what I, what, what I find with trauma is that there's usually an emotion that that just was too much mm-hmm. for someone to to handle and usually there gets placed a limiting belief there and i have to say it it's so hard for me to bring this up with some of my clients because the the limiting belief is that my baby died yeah yeah even though baby's alive and they know the baby's either in the room with us or at home but in their body in their tissues, it's either I died or my baby died. Remember I said earlier how the body sometimes doesn't realize that the labor's over. Mm. It's because they got stuck in this trauma response during the labor. And it's like the body gets stuck in that moment in time. It hasn't moved forward on the time track. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to go back to that moment in time and reprocess it and replay it, release any limiting beliefs that were implanted in that moment and then help replace it and then help them to see them where they're at today. Yeah. Bring them into present time awareness. So the other, you know, so when we're talking birth and trying to really help moms have these smoother births, we need to address all this stuff that they're carrying in their body and their psyche prior to the birth. But we also need to be aware of what happened in those previous births. I have so many stories of moms that came to me that their first birth impacted their second birth. And I have this woman that um, I saw and she, um, I forget the whole story. I wish I could remember it, but she had two C-sections and she tried to do a VBAC with after the first one. And it turned out as we tuned into it, it turned out she had an issue with bringing girls into the world. Wow. And that was what was stopping her from, from being open to allowing the baby to come on out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so it was her own belief around being a woman and being a girl in this world that stopped those labors. And, and, you know, you get done with that session. I'm like, man, I wish you could have come in after your first one. Then maybe we could have shifted your experience on that second one. So I I really, if anyone's listening into this, please process your births. Yeah. Do the work to clear the energy of it. I have another story of a doula who um, she had, she came to see me after the birth of her second baby because she was having pain in her C-section scar. It was really painful. She Mm. couldn't touch it. 
And when I assess her body, I always go, I listen to the body and I see where the body draws me in. And the body didn't draw me into the C-section scar. It drew me into her left hip. And when I talked to her about what's going on in the left hip, what came up was in her first birth, her baby had shoulder dystocia. They had to break the clavicle in order to get the baby out. Wow. And it was the trauma of that first birth in there that when she went to give birth with her second one, as I tuned into it, we cleared that, we cleared that trauma of the first one. And I tuned into her C-section scar and I'm like, you were totally okay having a C-section, weren't you? And she's like, absolutely. And I go, of course, you didn't want that same thing to happen to your second baby. Mm. And then as I tuned into her C-section, because she's this prominent natural birth doula in our area, everybody around her was so fearful of her having a C-section that that's what got stuck in her C-section scar was everybody else's fear of her having a C-section. Yeah, man. And as soon as we cleared that and she recognized that that was all theirs, there was no more pain in her C-section scar. When you go to the grocery store or drugstore and you look at the prenatal vitamin selection, there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to meet the optimal nutritional needs for pregnant women. But what about the men in their lives? You know, in order for you to get through pregnancy or even to get pregnant in the first place and then to go into the postpartum period, you're going to need this, your partner to be optimally healthy as well. So if you're a female listener and you've got a man in your life, And you're worried about conception. You're worried about how things are going to go when the baby comes, right? How are we going to mitigate the loss of sleep? It's a cumulative sleep deficit that happens after a baby comes. Well, fortunately, there is a prenatal nutrition company called Needed that I'm happy to be collaborating with that makes a men's multivitamin as well. They just launched this product. And just like Needed's complete plan for women, their men line includes a wide variety of multivitamins and minerals. It also includes a tailored pre and probiotic, a vegan and sustainably sourced omega-3 with extra choline and added antioxidants. Some of the vitamins and minerals included are B12 that helps you with your energy levels, active folate, vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, zinc, and antioxidants. All of those things, by the way, are going to be important for you to have healthy swimmers right? It used to be that 150 million healthy modal sperm were normal. Now it's like around 30 million because of all the toxic stuff in our environment. You can actually start to reverse that, boost your sperm count, boost the likelihood you're going to get pregnant by taking a simple catered package right here for you from Needed. Their men's line includes all of the nutrients men need to support optimal health, fertility, and energy when trying to conceive and all throughout the dad years to come. I can say it for sure. They sent me some samples and I was like, bam, all that I need in this little pouch right here. So they're offering a very, very special discount for listeners of the Holistic OBGYN podcast. You can save $100 off your first three months of the complete plan for women. Just go to thisisneeded.com and use code BELOVED100 to get $100 off the complete plan. I hope you check it out. I'm happy I did. Let's get back to the show. It really makes me think about about so many things that ail us. You know, I mean, these limiting beliefs are powerful. I mean, there's yes. a guy named Joe Dispenza who he suffered a uh-huh. serious, I think it was like a thoracic spine injury and... Uh, had this crazy degenerative disc and he needed like a vertebroplasty and they told him all these things and he was like, I'm just going to have to heal this, you know? And he, um, you know, what some people would say is he used the mind to heal the body, but it's more than that. It's actually getting out of the way of the body's ability to heal itself. And these limiting beliefs really just stick a wrench right into the, into the gears. Um, Absolutely. It also makes me think whenever a woman is in the grocery store, like my wife experienced this quite a few times, or even from friends who are they have good intentions, but they're like, oh man, my birth was so scary and blah, 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 blah. And we take that in. That becomes a part of our energetics now. So if you're out there counseling women in the grocery store with unsolicited advice, if nothing, if you're going to say anything, maybe just say nothing at all, but if you're going to say anything, support them. Like you're, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're strong. You've got this. Like that's the type of encouragement we need to be giving pregnant women. It doesn't matter what your clinical gestalt tells you. It doesn't hurt right. to tell somebody you can do this and you're going to be okay. And I'm going to keep you, I, I'm going to, me and my staff are going to hold space for this and we're going to try to accommodate your, your needs and we're here for you. That, that is such a 
different paradigm from what we see in most labor and delivery units. Nathan, I am so getting called to share what I feel is the most powerful tool that I can give anybody listening in. Um, because it, because we do, we get bombarded and we have interactions with people and especially women who are so nurturing and caretaking, we tend to take on other people's energy, especially caregivers, right. Or people in the healing arts, we tend to take on and, and then we hold it. And I, I liken the pelvic bowl, the pelvis as a bowl And it's a storage house. It is a storage house of unprocessed emotions, traumas, events, things that we have not dealt with in our life and also other people's energies and and beliefs. And the, the, the most easiest thing that we can do is sweep our bowl. Mm. And so I just invite everyone to think about the bottom of their bowl being a drain and you're standing at the top of the bowl. And, and I even take this further with my clients on the table is I have them visualize what they see in their bowl and, and how does left side compare to right side, front to back? What are you noticing right. in your bowl? And, and this is all work from Tammy Lynn Kent's Wild Feminine. And there's different areas of the bowl mean different things. So we can work with that and, and help shift it. But one of the easiest things that that we can do is just walk around the rim of our bowl. So use whatever instrument comes to mind for you that feels appropriate and just visualize yourself sweeping down to the drain, everything and anything that no longer serves you. Yeah. And just and and I say, if you get to an area that's resistant, just spend an extra moment or or moment with that. Let it know, you know, it's there and then move on. Yeah. And that sweeping has, has saved me so many times <laughs> and just, you know, like I, I came across an accident on the highway and I was the fifth car on the scene. So I went up to see if I could help out and nobody was by this poor gal upside down in her truck. So I just went over and held space with her, tried to keep her calm and she was fine, but very much in trauma response. Yeah. And I went home that night and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, I was tossing and turning. I couldn't fall asleep. When I realized I looked into my bowl and my bowl just felt like it was full of shock and trauma. Well, mm. I had taken on all of her shock and trauma without realizing it. Yeah. And I swept my bowl and I was able to turn over and fall right asleep. <laughs> so wow. we take on and hold things that aren't serving us. We do it because we think we're trying to help others, but it's just burdening, burdening us. And so sweeping our pelvic space, like if you're in the grocery store, you hear other people's traumatic stories, sweep your bowl. That's not yours. Don't hang on to it. Yeah, I see trauma as like an entity. You know, it's, I don't think it's any different from what the, you know, what shamanistic practices would, would describe as an entity. It's some external force that has come into you and now it's wreaking havoc. You know, and if you are working with a lot of people who have been traumatized or what the shaman would say, a lot of people carrying these entities, you are actually also exposed or, or you're at uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're at, uh, I don't know, at risk for those entities coming into you. I mean, like this is real stuff and you see it every single day in your practice. And I've seen it in my practice as well, sitting with birth and death. Yeah. Uh, There's no, nothing, there's no difference from that. You can call it an entity. You can call it trauma. You can call whatever you want. It's nothing to be diminished, nothing to be compared, but it can wreak uh, quite a deal of havoc that we just can't measure. You can't, again, you can't measure it. Yeah, it's, right? it's something that sits with you. And if you're paying attention, gosh, like, man, that car accident really messed me up. And I wasn't even in the car. You know, it's, uh, this right. is real stuff. Yeah. Well, as practitioners, if any practitioners are listening in, if you feel drained at the end of the day. Yeah you're allowing energy to affect you or come from you. Yeah. As a practitioner, we need to learn to be these channels that allow energy to flow through us and not from us. And I, I say that we all are Swiss cheese. That's the analogy I like. We all have holes in us. And if there's something that's on your table that is similar to your hole, it'll come into that's you. That's exactly right. That that's like that, that's the shaman's view of an entity. Maybe this isn't a mal- some sort of malicious thing out there. Maybe it's actually filling some hole that hasn't been filled. That's it's freaking amazing. Yeah. Our job as practitioners is to become cheddar cheese. 
or whatever solid cheese you like. <laughs> I don't like cheddar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could be brie. You could be, you know, whether you want to be soft or hard, it's up soft to you. And melty. <laughs> we need to be solid, Nathan. We need to not have these holes where we feel like we have to take other people's stuff on. Yeah. And and that's what I I have an advanced uh, advanced treatment of the postpartum body course that I teach my practitioners how to work more with the energetics, with the trauma, and how to heal yourself. Yeah. So that you can become more solid. So these things aren't affecting you and you're not taking them on as much. Because when I start my day and I end my day after seeing my clients, I'm no different. I am just as energized at the start of my day as I am at the end of my day. Yeah. And, and I love my, I actually get more energized because I love what I do. And, but I don't let the energy affect me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just invite those that are feeling affected. There's, there's work that you can do to shift that, to change that. So we all have work to do, Nathan. None of us are are free of it and stuff happens to us and it's our job to, to work through it. Yeah. Uh, It's very, very rare that I meet somebody that isn't going to benefit from a holistic practice like yours or like mine. I mean, the reason I use the word holistic in my title is that, yes, your anatomy is working well. Yes, you've got the six pack. But what about the the etheric? What about the astral? Like what is going on spiritually and emotionally for you? Uh, The mindset. I mean, these are important areas, fortunately, that we're starting to shift our energy towards in the medical sciences. But I can't wait for them to catch up. Absolutely. And neither can you. I mean, this is just something yeah. that works and I'm going to have to spend as much time with you as possible for you to really become a whole person. That's the holism, uh, you know, that yeah. comes through in our work. So Lynn, you are uh, amazing. If I ever need a, a pelvic PT, you're, you're my, you're my, my, uh, my lady. Um, thanks Nathan. How can, uh, well, let's talk. Let's take a few minutes. Tell us about the Healing Summit, uh, Healing Birth Summit, and um, yeah. where then, and then also where can people find information about the summit? Sign up for the summit. Yeah. Please do yeah. it, everybody, and find you more of more Lynn Schulte. Um, so, birthhealingsummit.com is the website for the Birth Healing Summit. And every year I host it in April and I gather 20 experts all talking about the different different topics around healing after birth. And sometimes that includes the what can we do to change our birth practices to help prevent <laughs> the, the trauma and the, yeah. the problems afterwards, right? So I was uh, fortunate enough to interview you this year for the summit for 2022. So thank you for being a part of that. My pleasure. We have- fabulous conversation. And um, I, so birthhealingsummit.com, you can find all the practitioners there. Um, Please join in. It's free. Um, You can get access. There's limited time access for the free version of the summit. Um, But there, you can also purchase the summit to have limit a lifetime access to the interviews to review. And I can't tell you how much they impact my practice. Like just doing the interviews has really opened my eyes to so many different things. And, and the, the way I'm able to support my clients and is just exponential every year I do this. So Mm. it's just been phenomenal. And then if you're interested in um, learning more about the, uh, the courses and the teachings that I, I put out there, the Institute for birth healing, Dot com is that website. And then if you're interested in the clinical side of my practice, that is centerforbirthhealing.com. And so um, you can schedule a session with me. I also do virtual sessions for those that do trauma or have trauma or more energetic um, kind of want support in that way. We can do any long distance uh, virtual support there. So you can sign up for a session that way. Um, but, and then on, um, on social media, all of my, um, social media is institute for birth healing.com. And I have a YouTube channel that has over 30 videos of different educational pieces around pregnancy and postpartum that's institute for birth healing. Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. So I have a Facebook community group that is both moms and practitioners, and that is Institute for Birth Healing Community on Great. Facebook. We'll link so. everything in the show notes. We'll make sure that Lynn Schulte gets blasted out. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Anybody who has the opportunity to work with you, I know, is is in be- is in good hands, and they're going to be in better health, perhaps optimal health, after they meet with you. So, thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you so so much for being a part of my program, and I will. Um, I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Absolutely, Nathan. Thanks for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all that you do too. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And that was juicy, juicy, juicy. Lynn Schulte is a true pro. She's out there with her hands on patients doing the great work of helping women cope with stored trauma and some of the physical trauma that happens in childbirth in order to get their pelvises and their their systems at large working optimally after childbirth, which is it's a traumatizing experience. It's a hard thing for the body to do. So getting it restored back to its normal physiologic and anatomic function is is critical. So thank you, Lynn, for doing that work. And thank you for putting together the Birth Healing Summit. It's happening April 4th through the 14th of this year, 2022. I'll put all the links on how you can register um, into the show notes. Because I hope I hope that everybody out there realizes the benefit that this has. If you're Even if you're like a 28-year-old guy who's got 20% female clients, you need to know how to care for a person after they have a baby because most women have babies. And if you're just going to apply all the same principles that you apply to men, you're, you're going to be missing the boat and you're actually potentially going to be doing more harm than good. So the audience, the anticipated audience for this is physical therapists, occupational therapists, yogis, chiropractors, doctors. I mean, it's you name it, should be also health coaches, check practitioners, etc. I hope you guys can all attend. So thank you, Lynn, for dumping so much incredible knowledge here on the show. Our sponsors, waveblock.com, needed, thisisneeded.com. Please go and check them out. We can't do it without sponsors like them. And we really, I really, really do believe in the products. Otherwise, I wouldn't have agreed to promote them. I have actually turned down some sponsors in the recent months. Sort of much to my chagrin, really. It's nice to get paid for what you do, but I, I really only want to work with companies that are, are really in alignment with our values. So if you want to find me, Nathan Riley, MD, you can find me at BelovedHolistics.com. It's where awakened women find healing. Um, I do one-on-one consultations. I also have a collaborator program with any childbirth educators, doulas, midwives, MDs, uh, NDs, chiropractors, acupuncturists, whatever. Anybody out there in the healing space, if you want to have an MD to consult with, I've got a wide range of skills there. It's not just, quote, a vagina doctor. OBGYNs are the, probably the, the, have the broadest skill set and expertise of any physicians. And um, I will stand by that. Prove me wrong. <laughs> We're like the masters of all, or jacks of all trade, but masters of none, except when it comes to pelvic surgery, C-sections, and uh, high-risk childbirth, we'll just say. We'll leave the, the lower risk and moderate risk to the midwives who are so great at what they do. You can find me there for the collaborator program. It's a monthly fee. You can solve with me whenever you have any question related to your clients and patients. If you want the show notes, you can go to holisticobgwanpod.com can find that there. You can also make a generous donation. We're a 501c3. This is information and education and entertainment at its finest, but it is not a replacement for the advice given to you by doctors. And that is all that I have to share with you. I can be found at Nathan Riley OBGYN on Instagram and TikTok. Um, otherwise, shoot me an email. You can find me on the, on the website there. That is all. I will see you next time for, ooh, it'll be episode 48 with my friend Stephen Johnson. He's the uh, sitting president of the Physicians Association of Anthroposophic Medicine. It's P-A-A-M. I always get the acronym wrong, but um, he is an incredible knowledge base on mistletoe and integrative oncology. So he's coming on the show next. I will see you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Holistic OBGYN podcast, everybody. Bye-bye.